Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. You're listening to Arrival Audio, recorded live at Arrival Bangkok 2019 and distributed here by Tourpreneur. Let's face it. The in-destination industry has been the hottest sector of travel over the past few years. Venture capital keeps pouring in, M&A is accelerating, technology is finally taking hold, and operators across the region and around the world are investing in tech. But where does this all lead? Here, Siu Hoon, founder of Web & Travel, moderates this exciting panel. Good afternoon, everyone. So firstly, um, I want to thank uh, Douglas, Alex, and uh, Bruce for inviting me to moderate this panel. Hey, guys, we are between uh, cocktails, actually. <laughs> well, so God, we're in the way. You guys better, <laughs> better keep it uh, lively. So that was a very interesting, inspiring Lively story. Fast, right? By, you know, this girl who starts a, you know, bike, bike tours, and actually my niece went on it. But what I found interesting was that in the early days, she actually said no to an investor. Right? So when do you say no to an investor? Because now everybody just says yes. Oh, no, that's not true. Come on, Blanca. So oh. when would you say no to an investor? When they give you a contract this big that you can't read and understand and <laughs> it comes with liability to the founder, then that's when you say no. Uh, there's many reasons why not to say no. I mean, fundraising is not just about getting money. It's about getting people that support you on the long term. It's about dilution. It's about your capital structure. So it's not that easy. Okay. Money is so, just money. <laughs> money is just money. So Fritz, Fritz was an early investor in this sector, Fritz. I mean, if I look back, it was January 2014, and you and Keith uh, Kulan, former CEO of Booking.com, you led a 4.5 million uh, Series A round in Get Your Guide, right? Did you know something that we didn't know then? Like, what did you see? Well, um... Yeah, we had a secret vision, which I'm not going to share with the audience. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, you know, we were super impressed with the team. Um, you know, I, I, I think as investors, it's, it's, it's always difficult to understand the market dynamics because things change so, so fast. Obviously, Moore's Law still applies today. I mean, um, meaning uh, within 18 months, everything we know has doubled and has changed and is radically different. And so what we have to rely upon is just our assessment of how capable are the founders of these companies. And, um, and you know, I, 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 I think at this conference today and the industry in general, there's so many interesting and capable people and, you know, Get Your Guide is no exception. All right. So do you think the liftoff, I mean, for, for you in this space, has that liftoff of this space taken you by surprise? I think it's not that it took us by surprise liftoff. I think it's how long it took that took us by surprise. Like if we go back to the early days of online air, the first online air bookings were like 1995, 1996, something like this. And then the first billion dollar transaction in air was 1999. 
Preview Travel was bought by Travelocity for $1 billion in 1999. So it took three to four years from the first booking online and air to the first billion dollar deal. Now Viator, some will tell me, took its first booking in what, like 97, 98, something like this? Right. And the first billion dollar value transaction was when either Get Your Guide or Cook got funded in 2017 or 18. Okay, so, so it took it's 20 years longer. to get from the first transaction to the first billion dollar deal. So I think we're not surprised that it took off, we're just surprised at why it took so long. I think Douglas's opening address this morning explained why it took so long. The plumbing took a lot of time to get together, customer readiness took a lot of time to get together, supply aggregation took a lot of time to get together. I think it was always inevitable, it just took a lot longer than we expected. Right, so Fritz, when you invested into uh, Get Your Guide at 2014, did you, and did you foresee that this plumbing would take so long to fix? Um... Uh, did we think about that important issue? Um, <laughs> yeah, sure we did. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yes, like yeah. Of, of course, I had the vision that uh, Tim has eloquently articulated just now. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, we. I'm, I mean, as, as as an entrepreneur myself, over many years, you know, things tend to take longer than we think. I mean, that's just the reality of entrepreneurship. Um, and yes, there was a certain um, unique set of challenges. Um, but you know, on I, I think on one hand, I mean. If, if, I think if you look at the growth rates of, of, of all the companies in the sector, um, whether it's KLOOK or KKDAY or, or you know, BMI Guest, I mean, most of these companies are growing at two, three times, you know, per year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I was listening to a podcast by Eric Schmidt, and he was saying, well, Google grew at four times a year or something like that. Okay, well, that's Google, right? But most normal company, most normal unicorns, you know, if, if, if you're going out two or three times a year, you know, I mean, I think you're doing a, um, a fantastic job and, you know, and, 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 and so in some ways, was it slow? Maybe a little bit, and we, didn't, we definitely had some challenges, but at the same time, I mean, these companies have continued every year to yeah. double, triple their, you know, their top line user base, you know, the, you know, the supply they onboard, and, um, um, and, you know, and so we're super, of course, like we started from nothing, right? So it's pretty easy. To... Yeah. So, so perhaps maybe there is a convergence of forces that's happening right now yeah, I mean, that, would, that would allow the industry now to really kind of make up for that time, I, right? I, I would say that like the 20 year kind of time frame is questionable because mm. just because Viator started 20 years ago, a lot of offline agents also started a longer time ago, right? It's just like, now they're coming online. So this is just an offline industry that's moving online. So for me, it just started like maybe less than 10 years ago, maybe five. Really? Well, 20 years ago, you weren't around. So. I was You're much younger than 10. <laughs> 19. <laughs> okay, so, so you know, uh, I hear this conflict, conflicting views right now, right? So, so I'm just going to ask you which camp you belong in. So camp A says this is a very low margin business. And there's no way that companies like Klook and Get Your Guide can ever be profitable because they have to spend a lot to get scale and build brand. And then Ken B says, well, it's a ma massive market opportunity, only a fraction online, so lots of room to grow, and the market can support a few big brands. So which camp would you sit in? Camp A or... I, I think it's you know, crystal clear this market is big and crystal clear it can be profitable. But that doesn't mean that the companies that exist right now are going to meet that goal. There's a couple of challenges they have. One is it's not yet proven whether you can create a global tours and activities intermediary brand. And everyone says, oh, well, you know, Expedia and Priceline and Booking and Agoda have created global brands in other sectors, so surely we can do it in tours and activities. But the thing about tours and activities is its local nature. 
right? It's something that's typically consumed in market on a local basis. So the big question for Cook and the big question for Get Your Guide is can you create a global brand? Uh, now, you can aggregate supply, you can get a lot of inventory, a lot of content, but I'm not sure about a brand. The second thing is there is a benefit and a curse to raising a lot of money. The benefit, you have a lot of money. The curse is you're not, you, you have to be careful you can stay lean and hungry and profit focused. Can you build a business that can become profitable or are you building a business that just knows how to spend money? So that's the sort of second challenge they have. Okay, um, so, so let me um, ask Blanca or Fritz. Do you have any comments on that? Fritz, you want to care to rebut some of Tim's comments? Yeah, I don't know. You're right, Kim. Uh, maybe we'll give back that money so we can be more hungry, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what you're saying, right? Hey, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I suppose as an insider and, you know, having worked with this business for many years, you know, I mean, you know, this assertion that this is a low-margin business, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I mean, you know, what we see in terms of take rates and average basket size and stuff like that is, I mean, these are incredibly high and, frankly, much higher than some of these unicorn OTAs that were on stage earlier today. Um, so I, 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 I think from an economic perspective, this looks amazing. And to echo what Tim said, yes, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And this is a massive opportunity. And maybe, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to take our inspiration from a little bit outside of the travel category. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Meituan, which is, you know, one of the super apps that, you know, um, Shabbat Hassan and, you know, Brett, uh, you know, uh, Brett were talking about, right? Um, I, mean, I mean, this company is a services marketplace. This is an Alibaba for services. And that's what's inspired us at Get Your Guide. And I think the guys at Klook and, and some of the others, I think, have... Um, you know, I, I think um, I'm also seeing that exact same e example. And, and so we think that, you know, there's room for a massive services marketplace that can scale. Right. Yes. When he, and do you think, yeah. like, what, what Tim was saying is that, you know, it may not be possible to build a gro global travel intermediary in the tours and activity space like you have in hotels and flights. Do you agree with that statement? No, I don't agree. I, I think we can do it. And I think if you ask consumers today already, I mean, we have, you know, top of mind brand awareness already in, in, in many markets. And, you know, keep in mind, and I don't know what we mean by brand anyways, because we have to think about, you know, we generate demand for our products and services through brand, that makes sense. But we also do it through um, integrating with, you know, the WeChat ecosystem that the guys were talking about or exploiting search marketing in different ways, or influencer marketing, or short video, you know, marketing. And, and you know, that is, is that brand, or is that just um, exploiting various channels in, in order to, you know, generate more demand? And, and, you know, we're doing that globally already, and there's, you, it, it, it is true, and it, it is absolutely true that, you know, um, you know Tim's parent company, Booking.com, was probably the first to um, have a multi-market incredibly brutal execution engine to generate demand. Obviously, you know, um, you know, Keese and Arthur and, you know, and the founders of Booking, um, um, you know, did, did a great job. And luckily, we took some of that secret sauce because, you know, Keese came over to our side for a while, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, and, and, so, and so it's happening. I mean, I mean, we see it today. I mean, it, it, I mean this is happening. I'm, I'm not saying it's so, game over, yeah. but, it, but it's happening. But clearly, um, can be, and the factors are different today versus, you know, in the past. So you are in camp B because I could see that you were disagreeing with. Victim. Definitely, definitely disagree. Fantastic. You're okay. Wrong. Uh, 
It's definitely just the tip of the iceberg. And in terms of building a brand, I, what I see, I mean, as a B2B player, and we don't power clubs or get your guides, we power everybody else, is that there's definitely a lot of investment going to B2C. Um, of course, because it's a very you know hot uh, sector at the moment. But what we do find on the OTAs, the traditional OTAs, like Agoda and others, uh, is that you're kind of a little bit old school already in terms of technology and adapting, adaptation. So what we see that, you know, Club Get Your Guy doing really well is they're actually tapping into the new traveler segment and those guys want something different. So I do see the space for the brand. I mean, how big can it get and can it be like another Expedia group and our booking holdings? I don't know, but it's definitely, there's, there's so much more in there. I guess and the other question yeah. uh, one would want to ask is that, you know, with so much funding, uh, you know, and then you said that as long as they can le remain lean and hungry and profit focused, well, maybe profit is not the focus, right? Maybe, maybe growth is. So, you know, one question I ask is like, what's a possible outcome with so much funding right now raised by companies like, hey, look and get your guide? And SoftBank is a common investor. So what's a possible outcome? Could SoftBank say, let's merge this two and create one giant? One. Have they become too big to be acquired? Or could they evolve in what we call the OTA 4.0, where they use their in-destination strength? Like what, uh, I think we're talking about the super apps and how you start with local activities to sell other stuff. What's a possible outcome? Are you too big, Fritz, <laughs> to be acquired? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just throwing it out to any of you to- Hey, you know, look outcomes. at this. I mean, if, if anyone's ever talked to, you know, Eric or Ethan at um, K-Look or Min at, you know, KK Day, or I mean, obviously a, a Blanca here and, and Clement or, you know, Tao and Johannes. I mean, these are all exceptional entrepreneurs. They want to build empires. They want to do something big. I mean, I mean, these, and, and so I think anyone who wants to do something big and they're independent and everyone has a unique personality, and what that means is, I mean, I think the last thing they want to do is, is really to sell to anybody. And so there's a lot of room. I mean, these companies are all growing at two or three times a year. Why would anyone ever consider selling unless someone really paid up, right? And everyone knows how cheap Glenn Fogel is, right? So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, right? Okay. Um, so, I mean, I mean, that's how I think about it. And, and you know, yeah. and, and obviously Masa-san has a lot of vision, you know, at SoftBank. And, 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 you know, and he likes to spread his bets, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, w w I mean, which is fine, you know, um, you know, but, but, but these are fiercely independent companies and, 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 and everyone has their own creative ideas on, on you know, I, I think on how to do things. And, and I think it's going to be that way for a long time. All right. So, so can I yeah. just, I, I want to just sure. jump in. So I'm over here. <laughs> just, I want to just okay. tying this into, you know, from the operator perspective, one of the issues with, so the growth of Booking.com and Expedia, two big OTAs, they became the two 800-pound gorillas in the marketplace, really changed the landscape for the supply side, for hotels. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of complaints, a lot of concerns from the supply side. We're still at the very, kind of, I think, beginning of that. But when you've got two companies that have raised sums like this, what does this mean for the supply side, the operators, and the attractions. I mean, you've seen this happen now over the past two decades on the hotel side. What should we be aware of? What's, you know, what's to come and how should 
operators be, be thinking about this? Well, can I answer that? Please, please. I mean, we work with a ton of operators, and what we tell them is like, you should spread your channels, because if you depend too much on one source of customers or the other, then you know, you're not doing your job. You should do your direct, your third parties, you should do a source for your Asian customers, a source for your European, for your US. And actually, if you see operators in Asia, they have even uh, still very traditional offline travel agent relationships that they're not going to get, uh, they're not going to let go of. So it's just really about keeping a balance. So, and I think that they've learned very well what happened to the hotel space, where yes, OTA squeezed a lot of the margins. So. In that sense, you know, you're an advantage because you're starting later, so you can learn a lot from what happened in the past. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, hotels were disintermediated by OTAs because they were sleeping, right? I mean, they weren't watching. And at the same time, they also were commoditized, right? Do you think, what lessons can tour operators learn from this? I I don't think hotels were disintermediated, and I don't think they were commoditized at all. Um, I think the hotels have painted a picture in their mind of direct and indirect or direct and OTA being competing channels. I see them as completely complementary channels. A healthy hotel, just like a healthy tour operator, just like a healthy uh, you know, Berlin t- walking tour person is going to have a mixture of direct and indirect and should embrace both of those channels. And I think um, hoteliers have got themselves caught up in a notion that each customer could either be direct or indirect and I can shift them one way or the other. I think it's much more different than that. I think the direct channels and direct customers are often in different places and different pools to the indirect ones. So um, my encouragement to hotels and other operators, just like Blanca says, is have a balance. These are complementary channels. You need to work with them together. But don't assume that each customer can be in both baskets of marketing. Right. So we've, we've covered funding in the B2C space, which is where the bulk of the funding is. You know, B2B is always not so sexy, right? Blanca. Not so sexy. Uh, harder to raise funds. <laughs> so how do you compete for funding in, in, in the, uh, you know, and, and congratulations, by the way, for raising Series B from Anna. your own. Fantastic. Well done. Um, no, it's, it's tougher. It's tougher. I mean, especially being based in Singapore, uh, in Southeast Asia, it's just, it's just kind of up-and-coming startup uh, region. So the B2C space for me is easier to understand because we are all B2C customers. Mm -hmm. So when it's an emerging region for investment, that is, I think that's also a reflection of the investors that you find. Of course, so for us, I mean, we could have been a little bit smarter in our strategy for fundraising, but we are very focused now in those VCs that really understand the B2B space. It might not be on the travel space, especially not tours and activities because there's not many players uh, addressing it. And Global Ticks and us is probably you know, two of the companies here that do that. Um, so yeah, right now we're focusing just on those B2C that, B2C, B, B2, B2, that actually yeah. understand B2B. And how, it's, what it's B2B not, yeah. does and how it yeah, works. Exactly. But that space is very competitive right now, right? I mean, there are a lot of companies coming in with tech mm, solutions. Well, and... there are the, you know, the reservation systems who address just technology. There are the traditional B2B offline resellers who have some sort of technology solution. I think one thing what we've done to try to differentiate ourselves is to marry, uh, you know, to deliver a solution for the supplier. You know, yes, you need technology, but you want sales. So we're trying to pair both. So you, we give you a reservation system, but we also give you a distribution network. So we kind of think that we built a little bit, a little bit of a blue ocean space in the B2B area in a really big, 
red ocean space of B2C competitions. Okay. Hopefully I'm right. <laughs> well, we're taking a bet on that. So, so Tim, I mean, mm -hmm. OTAs uh, like yourself, Agoda, you've been buying hospitality tech, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, clearly you want to uh, try and sort of uh, get that customer to have a good hotel experience when they're in hotels, right? And uh, some OTAs have also been buying tours and activities mm -hmm. tech, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you see an acceleration in M&A activity from the OTA part, and uh, especially on the part of Agoda? It's, all, it's always super dangerous to talk about the, or speculate about the acquisition activities of Booking Holdings because it's a public company that's dangerous. But I can say that if this mirrors what happened in hospitality, then we will clearly see a lot more consolidation and building and investment and activities. Uh, that mirror was clear. We've seen it in the last 15 years in hospitality, so it has to happen in this space, yeah. Okay, so what other, you know, you, you are looking at investments mm -hmm. and corporate development at Agoda, right? So other than hospitality tech, what other areas are you interested in right now? Well, I think, I think the thing that's, that's um, red hot at the moment in travel, and you saw it a bit in, in, in Kay and Brett's presentation, is payments and payment technology. Mm -hmm. And fintech is not a travel-only story. It's an e-commerce story. It's a, it's a food and beverage. It's an everything story. And I think we are only at the beginning of a massive fintech uh, revolution. We've seen all the payment platforms that, that Brett and, and Kay discussed, GrabPay, WeChat Pay, Paytm in India and so forth. Um, we've seen that the, the visibility that's now available on foreign currency uh, uh, costs, uh, the rise of payment gateways, the squeezing of merchant fees, we are, we are in the middle of what is going to be a very exciting time and a revolution in payments. And I guess that's what something the internet loves to do is kind of squeeze costs out of mm -hmm. everything, right? So because mm -hmm. we are paying way too much merchant fees uh, or, or, you know, credit card fees right now. I mean, so. Everyone in this room knows the scam where, where, where they ask you, would you like to pay in your local currency at a, you know, at, at a hotel or a restaurant or whatever? And we know that that is just a recipe for them taking okay. 4 or 5%. So the, the payment areas are very exciting. So here. next big space. Uh, what about for you, Fritz? I mean, you, you have... Uh, you run your own uh, VC, Queen's Road Capital, uh, other than tours and activities. What other areas are you looking at? Um, what other verticals? Well, you know, we look at, uh, uh, so we try to learn from the travel industry and apply it to other categories. But uh, we certainly have looked at um, alternative accommodation, something we're excited about. Um, yeah, payments and a, a certain, you could say, uh, financial solutions. Um, to um, um, aspects of the ecosystem, something we're super excited about as well. So Blanca, I mean, what are some of the myths that you think, you know, because you, you always say that Asia is immature, right? The market is very different here, but Douglas in the opening say, you know, the, maybe it's not that different. And then we heard that bookings are actually made two weeks in advance of a trip. That, that's what Wilfred was saying too, like two weeks in advance, right? So therefore this whole thing about instant booking, how important is that to, well, yeah, that, that's actually quite interesting because some of the do data Douglas shown actually came from our business and that shows that 50% of the bookings are made in destinations or within two days, which is, it, which is great, but it's only half, right? So, and you have to look at the type of traveler who's actually booking. And if we talk about the tip of the iceberg, then we're only analyzing those bookers that are actually booking online. So then we would have to really expand that data to all of those bookers that are not booking online and all of those products that are not yet online. So um, a lot of our OTAs in the region have hyper-mobile users and hyper-millennial, you know, really ADD kind of kids. So they want everything instant. But to be honest, uh, there's, still, there's still room and advanced booking is still, you know, it's still possible. 
So for operators that are, you know, you're struggling with it, being able to do instant confirmation, there's still room for advanced booking as long as there's, you know, sufficient response that is fast enough. You know, 24 hours, I think it's still okay. Anything beyond that, you start to get a little bit nervous. But in Asia, it's still, I think it's still acceptable. I mean, the Asian customer is just, they're just moving from packages to a little bit more free and easy kind of booking. So they're still okay to pre-book, especially because of language barriers, cultural, cultural barriers, and also because they have smaller budgets, less days of holidays. So they wanna make sure that they make the most of their visits. So sometimes they do multiple, multiple attractions and multiple things to do in one destination. Sometimes they do multiple cities in, in a very short time frame. So when they do that, they do wanna make sure that they can just enjoy. Okay, so, so I'm gonna wrap up. Mm -hmm. So Tim, you're the host in Bangkok. Uh -huh. You know, we are all from outside Bangkok. Give us a recommendation on what Blanca and Fritz can do, the funnest thing they can do in Bangkok without alcohol. My favorite thing to do in Bangkok is an urban hiking meetup group. Okay. This is a bunch of 40 to 60 people once a month goes on an urban hike through the back streets of Bangkok. A 10 kilometer loop created by the organizer which always uncovers something crazy in Bangkok. But it is a okay. hike, not a walking tour. Okay. Put on your exercise shoes. There's no stopping, no pausing, no photographs. Okay, does this sound like something you want to Bangkok do? Urban okay. Hiking Group is the best thing to do in Bangkok. <laughs> All right, without alcohol, uh, Blanca and Fritz, what's your best in-destination experience that you've ever had? Uh, I've, uh, I've done the fastest roller coaster in the world. <laughs> Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi, Formula okay. One. Uh, yes, I, I you survived. Okay. A little bit. 240 kilometers in five seconds. Oh, wow. <gasps> That's like the growth of the tours and activities sector right now. Yeah. Fritz? <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, um, I was visiting Buenos Aires in, once, and um, I, I, I took this tango tour, wow. and it was just the coolest thing. It was by, you know, and the reason why it was amazing is you had this super knowledgeable, charming guide. It was personalized for me. It was authentic in the right part in, in Buenos Aires where the real locals went and, you know, people all dressed in black and the guy with the, you know, like the... Sounds cool. You know, like the Pinochet hair, hairstyle or whatever it is. Um, okay. It was like, the, it was just the, the totally coolest thing. All right, so finally, since this session is about money, I'm going to give you 10,000 baht each. We're on a tight budget here, right, Douglas? Uh, 10,000 baht, who will you bet on? Who will be the winners in this space? Pick one name. A name? Or a name or I'd, I'd, I'd give put, a concept. I'd put half of it into the plumbing. So I'd put half of it into the people doing the, the reservations, okay. the platform. Mm -hmm. I'd put two and a half thousand into someone who is a specialist in something complex, okay. like safaris in Africa. And I, there we go, <laughs> see me afterwards. Okay. And I put two and a half thousand dollars um, into global OTAs getting to this space. <laughs> well, Blanca, where would you put the money? I'll put 8,000 baht on technology, 2,000 baht on drinks on the party after. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Prince, Prince, what would you put it on? Uh, I would just say, you know, we have to think about it like a barbell. On, on one hand, like the big platforms that are already established, I think, and, and have the money to sponsor this, you know, this conference and stuff like that. You know, you know, I mean, those companies are exceptionally run and doing an amazing job. And then, like Tim said, on the other side of the barbell are going to be those niche players. So the safari, South Africa, <laughs> I love it. Right. Or oh, the lady biker tours <laughs> yeah, in so Vietnam. Trip, so whatever it's called. Fritz, yeah. Blanca, Tim, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much.
We hope you enjoyed this session from Arrival, the only event dedicated to creators and sellers of tours, activities, and attractions. Head to ArrivalEvent.com to register for upcoming conferences around the globe. And for insights into the in-destination industry, head to Arrival.travel.